0: You are listening to Let's Talk TRIO on podcast. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts.
1: Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk TRIO. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have Spencer Hall, a student at Colorado State University and TRIO participant. Spencer is here to talk to us about his experiences as a TRIO student and his experiences in life so far. I am very honored to have Spencer on the program. It was a joy to talk to him about his experiences and how he wants to get involved in the community. And we talked about uh, a variety of topics that I thought were very, one, eye-opening for me, and two, uh, just grateful for the the conversation that we were able to have. I learned quite a bit uh, about uh, things that I didn't know before. And it's always useful to have those conversations uh, because I feel that when we are able to talk about topics that are um, difficult or maybe difficult for one to listen or anything like that, that it's it's valuable. You You learn and you expand and you grow. And I felt that I really grew from this conversation that I had with Spencer. So Spencer, thank you so much for having this conversation on the podcast. I believe that the audience is in for a treat. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. And I'll catch you at the end. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am joined by Spencer Hall, a student at Colorado State University and a participant of the Academic Advancement Center a Trio Program here at CSU. Spencer, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So we were talking earlier. Uh, you have a bunch of ama- you had a bunch of amazing jobs. First, Army. Uh, that's the things that I'm thinking out of my head. Not in any chronological order, but. Army, uh, then you did dishwashing, you had uh, volunteer work, you're really a jack of all trades, you, you do a lot of things. Uh, can you give us a little bit more info about you?
0: Uh, yes, so I started my working career as a dishwasher and as a server, um, and then I joined the Army at 18 years old, right out of high school. Um, I joined as a mortician, and so my job was doing a lot of autopsies, um, and I also, I was contracted with both military morgues and civilian morgues, um, and then I, after that, I was also, when I was in the military, I was also in armor, um, so that means I was a weapons mechanic for my unit, um, did all the maintenance on our weapon systems, uh, ran all of our ranges and stuff. Um, On top of that, when I left the military, I continued to, I learned how to embalm, I continued to kind of work in the funeral services industry, Um, and then I realized that I had a real passion for serving people, Mm. um, and I had a passion for supporting communities, specifically vulnerable communities, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I kind of left that, I went back to school, um, and I started working with the TRIO Student Support Services Program that I from the institution I transferred from, which was Front Range. Um, and then I started working with the Upper Bound program. I started tutoring students, uh, things like that. Because also at the time I wasn't studying social work. I had, I had realized that passion, but I thought that I also loved science, which I do, don't get me wrong. Um, but I had a passion for helping people within the science industry. Um, and later on, working with Upper Bound and, and many different volunteer opportunities, I learned that my passion was more so in like doing and working with people, one on one, and serving so vulnerable communities—not so much doing the behind-the-scenes work. Yeah. So, how did that come
1: about for you? Realizing that you wanted to work one-on-one with people—that public service—because a lot of it takes a lot to be a public servant. <laughs>
0: So I originally started college uh, thinking that I wanted to go to medical school, Uh which I love the human body, hence I was a mortician. I was very, very good at the science behind it. Um, When I did autopsies, I absorbed whatever doctors told me, and so I really thought I wanted to go to the medical field um, and help people from that perspective. Um, And then I realized later on that maybe I was more infatuated with the why instead of, you know, the medical part. thought I wanted to do research. um, And then I realized that as I kind of, worked my way through college and all my science courses I really didn't enjoy being in the lab I didn't enjoy it not not at a student level not at you know uh, being in an actual lab like seeing what my professors did in the research I, did, I, just, I didn't enjoy the lab and I thought why would I put myself in so much debt to do to unlock a job I didn't really want to do in the end um, and then again I started working with Upward Bound I started doing all these different volunteer um, opportunities I was working with the trio student support services program Um, I was tutoring, and I I learned that I love teaching, and I just loved helping people succeed. Um, And I got to meet an amazing social worker um, who is the academic counselor um, for the program that I worked with in Upward Bound, Um, and I found out she was a social worker, and she told me about all the different fields that we can work in. Um, And so the more that I kind of started to dive into that and learn what she did and learn what the social work field did, um, I was infatuated. And I also realized that um, anytime I would have like conversations with my friends and stuff, I was al- I would always end up on the topic of social justice. And they would always ask me, can we please change the conversation? Um, and I eventually realized that I couldn't change the conversation. I couldn't change the conversation when people... When vulnerable communities are constantly at risk, when people are literally losing their lives for existing with marginalized identities, um, and so I started telling people, I said, I can't change the conversation, but I'll get a degree uh, to help, t- or I can't change the subject, but I'll I'll get a degree so I can help change the conversation. There you go. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And so, yeah, now here I am.
1: Yeah, look right here uh, <laughs> in this office of a makeshift studio, uh, giving an interview uh, because your story is very inspirational. Um, you. Uh, went from uh, washing dishes, going to college, or going to military, and then college. Uh, What occurred in that transition that you said, I'm going to give college a a chance. I need to uh, go from military to college. Uh, And it sounds like you were also a transfer student, so that also adds a, a layer of complexity to your overall college adventure or your journey.
0: I loved the military to an aspect But the military was a very, very, very micromanaging environment. Okay. Um, Very, very micromanaging. Um, And I thought that I could make a bigger impact, and I wanted to make a difference. Um, And so I decided, when I got out, I decided to go to college. Um, Yeah, I... really yeah I think I just I think I decided to go to college and then um in the process of being at Front Range um I again literally (laughs) was walking down the hallways to go to the library to study and the trio student support services program had just received the grant there um and they had food in the office and I could smell it and it had a sign that said (laughs) come in and eat and they said are you first generation I said I don't know what that is and they explained it to me I said well why yes I am yeah. Um. And so, anyway, I joined this program, and I think that within the trio program, they saw the support in me that I couldn't, or the the potential in me that I couldn't see in myself. Um. And so, when I was getting ready to receive my associate's degree, they were like, "Are you going to transfer?" I was like, "What? I can do that." Um. And so, anyway, uh, I ended up transferring, and you know, truth be told, when I started at Front Range, I didn't even know if I would be successful in college mm. because growing up, um academics weren't really encouraged in my household Mm -hmm. um and so i didn't really know how to study i didn't know how to take a test i didn't know how to read a textbook i didn't know how to do those things um but when someone showed up and believed in me and was like wait hold on you can do this and now i'm like wait hold on i want to go to dee and get my master's degree um so yeah okay
1: right on so your journey so far has taken you to colorado state university how did you arrive to come to a decision that you wanted to be at CSU? What was it? What was impressive? What, what did you like about it?
0: Um, so I started going on tours with the trail program um, at Front Range. And I went to CU Boulder. I went to CU Denver. I went to Metro. I went to CSU. Like, I saw all these different institutions, um, along with Upward Bound. I also did a lot of tours with their high school students. Um, and when I was here at CSU something about the campus, and something about the sense of community I knew was important. Um, again, when I grew up, I didn't have a supportive background, I didn't have supportive parents um, at all, and so I knew that that sense of community is what made me successful the first time, and having that sense of community what was going was, is what was going to make me successful here at CSU. Um, and if I didn't have that, I didn't know if I would be successful.
1: Oh, I see. So having that support network was really important for you yeah. having to, uh, to make sure that right, that the transition happened from uh, community college to a four-year institution. Um, and if I heard you right, you're also gunning for a master's as well.
0: Yes. Um, again, from all the support that I've received uh, from all the different places here um, at CSU and at Front Range, um, I definitely was pushed to uh, see my potential when I couldn't see it myself. I thought I would get, you know, my bachelor's degree and be like, hey, like, I'm going to go be a social worker now. Um, But actually, I really want to go to DU. They do their, they have a master's program that's dual between law and social work. Oh, wow. Um, So that's really what I want to do. And again, I definitely had a support system pushing me to, like, remind me that I was capable of doing that.
1: That's amazing. Awesome. Uh, At this part of... Uh, the interview I wanted to ask you more about uh, you know your experience at, at, at Colorado State and the support you received you shared that you were part of the fostering success program mm-hmm. uh, a program that serves uh, a targeted uh, population can you tell us a little bit about that
0: yes um, coming here to CSU as much as I love this institution uh, majority of times the students here are very traditional um, Actually, when I first moved here to Fort Collins, uh, I moved into an apartment and my car was stolen my oh, very no. first month being here oh, at, in, in Fort Collins. And I, I'll never forget this. I was in my, cal, uh, my calculus class and I was explaining to my professor that I was sorry that I was late. Um, I was filling out a police report, um, but that I, I was here and you know I was just apologizing to him. Um, And I remember the person sitting across the table from me looked at me and was like, your parents aren't going to buy you a new one.
1: Oh, wow. Like the level of disconnect there.
0: Yeah. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think my parents would give me $10 in gas money. Um, Everything that I have from my working experience, I've, I've worked for on my own 100% completely on my own. Um, And so it was definitely like, I was taken aback by that. But I think being here in the fostering Success program and having different students that understand um, coming from that non-traditional background whether that being an independent student or that that being you know part of the being a student that has been fostered or what the case looks like, mm-hmm. I think just having students co- to connect from that non-traditional background is definitely a very great sense of support
1: Great. Um, you talked a little bit on your history which we're going to get to the interview on, on the interview part. I really wanted to ask you. Um, First-generation students, typically their families get very little to no support. I mean, even uh, whether they're uh, foster background youth or traditional families, uh, they typically either have don't, don't, don't have the finances to support or they have no support at all. Um, for you going to college, what did that mean for your family? And uh, what type of support did you receive?
0: Um, for my family personally, my family has never actually... I don't think that my family really knows a whole lot about the college system and I don't think they ever really cared to learn. Um, truth be told, I don't even think a lot of them could tell you where I go to school or what I'm studying. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is something that I've always wanted, um, that I'm very passionate about. Um, and so I decided that when I came here, I, I came here to become a social worker and I'm not leaving here until I am one. Um, one <laughs> thing people always tell you about you. I would tell you about me is I have a very determined mindset. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. My family is like very out of the loop with me going to college. Yeah. I don't even. Again, like I don't even think they could tell you what I'm studying. Okay.
1: Um. That being said, you've truly had to do this, like you said earlier, on your own. Um, how how difficult was that to be to be to realize that this is this is on you and. Nobody else is holding you accountable
0: to that. Um, I'll never forget this. Before I transferred, uh, let me back up. When I was in the military, um, there's always somebody always tells you what to do, how to do it, where to do it, why to do it, what uniform to do it in. It was again, it was very micromanaging. Um, I never, for really a second, thought it was hard to make it in the military. I just had to do as I was told. Um, but when I got out, I remember I was sitting in the trio office. And again, the, the TRIO program as a part of had just received the grant, so they were building this program from the ground up, um, and I'll never forget one day, I was like sitting there on the couch in the office taking a nap, <laughs> and I like woke up, and I was like, and I, you know, started like doing some homework or whatever, and I remember I was just like thinking, and it hit me one day, I was like, there was no book, they didn't, they didn't put this program together with a book. Yeah. Right. Like I, I have to like be able to build these skills, and I have to be able to function. I have to be able to, you know, if I if I want to be a social worker and I I want to take on these roles and I want to help these vulnerable communities, like or support, not help support these vulnerable communities, like it's really important that I like build those skills on my own. You know, in the military, even if you don't know what to do, there's a, there's a book on how to do it. Yeah. And so I think definitely like building those skills, I think, um, yeah.
1: And usually uh, a a student that receives financial support from family or they're not first-generation these skills are transferred or passed on somehow by family members right Mm -hmm. they they have these skills and they're able to go in I think uh, what lawmakers in DC or anywhere else what they fail to see about trio programs is they kind of act as that catalyst to start bringing those skills to students Um, is there a specific moment in time or a memory about uh, the trio programs that you still enjoy to this day that you when you think back at it it still makes you smile or, or makes you think about a uh, trio overall
0: <laughs> before before i transferred um i definitely uh there was a couch we had this really conduit couch in the office And I just like always think about that couch because I tutored students on that couch in chemistry and in biology and and all these different subjects, Um, but I also took naps on that couch and I (laughs) ate my lunch on that couch and I, you know, I literally would go to class and I would like come back Mm -hmm. and I would tutor students and I would come back or I would, you know, I just remember that office feeling what, probably like what other people feel like home should feel, It feels like. Oh, wow. That office felt like what what probably feels like home to other people. Um, and so when I transferred, that was actually a very terrifying feeling. Like, I was leaving that support system. And I I remember coming here to CSU, and for the first time in my life, I was homesick. Um, you know, I, I had been in the military. I, I'd been all over. You know, I lived 1,800 miles from home uh, when I was 18 years old. And for the first time in my life, I was less than an hour away from home, and I was I was homesick. Oh, wow. um, and I just remember, like, this, this support system that I had built, I got up and I left. I came to CSU, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget. Uh, I, I still think this is so funny. I walked into the trio academic advancement center here at CSU, and I was in tears. And I was like, I don't know where my classes are. And I was like, I don't know where to get my textbooks. And I was just like crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one of the retention specialists had pulled me into his office that day, and he literally like sat down and on Google Maps, and he showed me like the different campuses. He's like, if this is where you're living, you know, here's the King Supers and here's all these different things, here's where you go get your textbooks. And I remember like, like in that moment, I don't, I don't think that he knew this, but like feeling like, oh my gosh, it's, it's gonna be okay. Like I, I have the trio program. Yeah. Um, and then coming here to the Fostering Success Program and meeting you know, with the director of this program and just like having again a program that like understood what I had went through or like being given a package that I knew that I wouldn't get from my parents. Um, with the simplest things, I was like, oh, now, you know, just like this, somebody here at this institution cared, and they cared about my success yeah. was important.
1: That's amazing. You touched on the care packages a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that's something the Fostering Success Program does?
0: Yes. Um, because I know uh, from what I've heard about the idea that it was something that many students had mentioned, you know, like a lot of students are watching their fellow peers uh, help their families move them in, they're getting packages and all these things. And when you're a student who's been fostered or maybe an independent student or whatever your status is, that's a lot of times something that doesn't necessarily happen. Or maybe being a low-income student, right? Um, And so, yes, I received a care package from the Fostering Success Program when I first transferred here.
1: Awesome. Going back, kind of back a little bit, backtracking. So you've had you've held several jobs, several positions. Um, you shared that you're a navigator for the Trio Academic Advancement Center. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and what that means? So you're playing a role in Trio.
0: Uh, yes. Um, so I actually just took on that position, which I will officially start doing in August. Um, but uh, my role is so the Trio Academic Advancement Center they. Uh, do two different kind of things, so they do an arrive session for students who are new to the TRIO program, new to CSU, or have just transferred, mm-hmm. um, and then they do the Thrive program, so that's after you've completed that first semester as, uh, you know, being a transfer student or maybe new to CSU or new to the TRIO program, and then you attend two kind of workshops throughout the semester, but, uh, my role with the Academic Advancement Center will be to, um, kind of help coordinate that, um, and help within the ARRIVE program and help support them through that.
1: Right on. Well, congratulations on that position. Thank you. Uh, And you were also sharing with me that uh, you're you're really busy, uh, just a really busy person because you have uh, Macy's job that you just got. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And then you have several other positions as well. Um, How are you finding time for all of this?
0: You know, uh... I think my personality tends to be very fluid in what I'm doing, but I learned very quickly as a student at Colorado State that it was really important to be, uh, manage your time well. And so I have a planner, I write everything down. Um, really, time management is the key. I already had my entire like schedule mapped out before I started my job at Macy's, before I started working with Trio. Um, but yeah, and I think communication is also key. Um, when, I, when I started my job at Macy's, I was like, hey, these are the, when the semester starts, these are the days that I cannot be here. Because um, again, it's, it's really important to me to show up for uh, people, and it's important for me to support communities and support people. Um, you know, I think as people, we all want to feel like someone's listening. We all want to feel appreciated. We all want to feel like someone's heard, and we all want to feel valued. Um, and so I think going back to that dedication um, for communities, uh, and definitely just communicating with my boss at Macy's, been I cannot be here on these days or these times. Um, and I know I have a very unique skill set. Uh, as much as I want to get away from the mortician work, um, I know for a fact that that's something that I have to fall back on. It's not a skill set you come by very often. Right. Um, and I think with the TRIO program, I think that they really care about student success. And so, obviously within that I I need to pay my bills and so they've also been very understanding
1: right absolutely I think um, right we're we're in an age where a hundred dollars could have gotten you six classes way a long time ago Mm -hmm. Uh, today you need uh, financial aid plus uh, almost win the lottery to continue going to college so students are facing more and more disadvantages and more so for first generation low-income students Mm -hmm. Um, what sort of barriers did you have to overcome on, on that front
0: Um, I think more so than anything, uh, in the upcoming semester, I know that I will have to work approximately 20 to 30 hours a week. Oh wow. Um, and you're having to study. And I, and I had to study, and again, it goes back to managing my time well, um, you know, before I transferred, I was taking 18 credits. Um, I ran two different organizations, and on top of that, I was working three jobs. So, like, it was it was all time management. Um, but, again, I, I just, I think, I think our roles as, as people who show up for people, I think, I think is important. And so I think I just, like, find time for it. Yeah. Right? Like, well, um, yeah, like, I know, and I, I don't know if this is just me or maybe, like, a student thing, but I feel like the more pressure I have, the more successful I am. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. I noticed, like, when I like my last semester at Front Range, like, I when I was really, really, really busy, I pulled like a four I think. Um, which semesters before that, when I had more time on my hands, I didn't necessarily do. Yeah. Um, I think maybe actually the bu- the busier that I find myself here at CSU, I think I'll have that same success. Okay. Or that same drive.
1: So it just sounds like really pushing yourself, not to the limit, but at least pushing yourself to continue being busy is something that motivates you and drives you.
0: Yes, I also know there's some, I think there's some sense of drive, um, even like having a job at Macy's, right? Like, I know that at the end of the day, like, if I don't pay my rent, that's it, right? Like, I don't, coming from a low-income background um, and a family who hasn't always necessarily been supported through my life, like, either financially make it or I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, I'm sure that the TRIO program and the FSP program probably has different things for, to support uh, non-traditional students. Through times like that but again I think that's the drive and when it comes to being a student I know that in order to work in the field I want to work in I need a degree Absolutely. and so I think like I'll find time to write that paper I'll find time to study for that exam But that's right you know on my 15 minute break at work I'll find time yeah. to do it so
1: awesome, awesome. Um, we were talking earlier as well about public service and how sometimes the public doesn't pay well um, and I, I got that line from uh, comedian John Stewart, who was a host of The Daily Show a long time ago. Um, but truly, public service is something, when, when students go into it, they really want to make a career out of it to help others. Um, you want to advocate. Uh, it's, it seems like you're an advocate for uh, several, uh, for a lot of organizations and, and students. Can you tell us, what, is the, what, what drives that passion, what, who, who are you advocating for and, and why?
0: Um, I think that the further I get in my education as a social worker, um, the more I realize that as we say, the rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poorer. If you look at the wealth disparity of the United States, that is a very true statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being one on the other side of that, where I'm not the person holding 40% of the income in the United States, um, being on the other side of that and, and watching... know the people that I really care about around me and the communities that I really care about around me um, kind of continue to be pushed to the other end of the spectrum I think that's where like a lot of that passion comes from I also think there is importance like in representation and so knowing that a lot of the identities that I hold myself um, I think that representation is definitely important and so Not just somebody who shows up and says, like, hey, we should do this, but, like, no, I've been been in your shoes. I hold these same identities, and this is how, like, we can make a difference, or this is how we can support these communities, I think is really important. Yeah. Um,
1: Because we we have a very, uh, right, in in society today, it seems like uh, we have a short list of advocates, of people who care about a community, or people who care about uh, specific uh, topics, and it's, it's hard to be an advocate when uh, people are uh, in this day and age, uh, more specifically, not to disparage this uh, administration the, uh, that's currently at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania, but it's, it's getting more and more difficult to justify why we're advocates and why we, we give voice to the voiceless uh, without seeming like, quote unquote, social justice warriors. How do you get past that, and how do you continue motivating yourself to continue advocating for these communities?
0: I always think to myself, if not now, then when. If not, if not me, then who, right? And I think that, uh, again, when it goes back to representation, I think that we can't have liberation without visibility. Um, I think that. I just, I personally, I just, I get there's like a real sense of frustration when I look at like different communities um, you know when I've when I've been on you know alt Break and I go out there to learn about people experiencing homelessness um, more specifically LGBTQ people experiencing homelessness because they are youth uh, about almost every academic article will tell you that about 30 to 40 percent of youth experiencing homelessness are fall in the realm of being trans and or queer and so, like, seeing that one-on-one or, I think, just, like, being, remembering my own story and interacting with people and hearing their stories and just thinking, like, we, we like, we have got to do better. Absolutely. Um, people, I think people's voices deserve to be heard, and I think that they, again, I think, I think for me, too, it goes back to, like, the fact that, like, people are literally being murdered in the streets for existing with marginalized identities, trans women, especially trans women of color, are constantly under attack. Um, their actual life expectancy isn't... A, they're, not, they're not even expected to live past the age of 35. They're the that's most right. vulnerable community. Oh, wow. um, again, trans women, but more specifically trans women of color, are incredibly at risk. Um, and so for me, like I just think about the fact that people are literally being murdered for existing, and the fact that that's not okay. And so I think that we we have to fight for that. And I always think, again, to myself, like, if not me, then who? Mm -hmm. And even – I think it also goes back to, like, even having conversations and, like, challenging people's thoughts, whether – regardless of the identity that we're talking about. Right. Um, And I – again, I think – yeah, I think it goes back to, like, just challenging people. And I don't want to say correcting people because it's probably not the right word. But, yeah, I would just say challenging people in conversations.
1: I think we get a lot of blowback as advocates, um, say that we're politically correct, and that uh, in this in this current uh, environment politically, that it's very it's very easy to fall into the trap. Right, um, I'm sure you've heard about the about uh, our president's comments about four congresswomen, and how easy it is to um, label groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done a lot of great work. To continue advocating and uh, highlighting and making visible these the voiceless, um, uh, what's uh how how can uh, others get involved? How do you engage them and how do you make them uh, understand your point of view and the community's point of view? And that's kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but I figured now that we're there.
0: No, you're totally it. good. Um. No, you were you were totally good. Actually, would you would you ask me that again one more time?
1: Yeah. So, um, with Trump's recent comment, and I'm sorry I'm having to call out the president uh, in this manner, but with Trump's recent comments, how are you continuing to um, push back on the blowback that uh, political, you know, the word political correctness and how that comes about, and how it almost seems like uh, being political politically correct or having political labels or even having any sort of labels uh, people are sta- are, start- are beginning to say we don't need those anymore um, how are you pushing back how are you giving still voice to the voiceless and uh, still keeping the integrity of, of those communities and saying um, this is important and for you how, how is that done how do you engage others and I guess that's my the basic, the basic my question is how are you engaging others to help them see
0: um, I think through I think through conversations, um, first and foremost, I think it's also really important to recognize that we who uh, this world is set up for and this who this world is not set up for um, I think that there's certain identities that you know again we we, we call them marginalized because they're pushed to the margin and I think there's not I think there are studies show that there are other identities that when you hold privilege right like people I mm this world is set up for are people who hold privilege, and that can be that can come in many different aspects. But I think more so than anything, like challenging people, um, and through conversations is the way that I like to go about it. Um, and I also think, on the same token, when they say like get rid of labels and and, and do all these things, um, I think that a lot of the times the people who say that are the people who hold privilege because you don't recognize the way that people are traveling this world differently based off an identity that they may hold or multiple identities that they may hold. Right, um, and so I think that as much as we want to get rid of labels and, and this political correctness, this is somebody's identity, and when they have to navigate the world based off it differently, it's not just a label. This is this is their life, mm-hmm. and they deserve the same access to resources and opportunities. Yeah. Hence,
1: also part of the reason why uh, the trio programs exist is to continue providing those. Uh, are, like you said, those put, those pushed to the margin, uh, the opportunity to access uh, education. Um, we're getting uh, to, to the halfway point here, um, with about fifteen minutes to go. Uh, I wanted to really more delve into uh, your your future, what you see for yourself in five to ten years. Once you complete your degree and you head on to your master's, how do you? What's the vision looking like for you? What's the path?
0: So I, as I mentioned earlier, really want to uh, go get my master's degree at DU, Denver University, um, and do their dual program between law and uh, social work. Yeah. Uh, And I think for me, I really want to go into policy, but I also... I learned a while ago that my population that I really want to work with is youth, more specifically like high school age students. Mm-hmm. Um, Why is that? Uh, you know, gr- uh, personally growing up for me, uh, I found myself in the foster system between like, I think it was like 14 to about 18. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I just remember being really voiceless at that age. And I think how differently my life would have been if somebody would have been my voice, or if somebody would have showed up and cared. Um, and I, even now, uh, being, having the opportunity to work with the Upper Bound program and different, uh, youth organizations, I love high school students. I love working with them. Um, I love seeing their passion. I love seeing their growth, um, and just what they're capable of. Because when someone shows up at that age, I think a lot of times at that age, I don't know about you, but myself, um, I feel like nobody was really listening, and I felt like nobody really thought that at that age you were in the real world yet or that you had a life or that you understood what was going on and so I think that when you like give uh, youth that that voice and you say hey you know what, you matter and your voice does matter Mm -hmm. um, and that you deserve to go accomplish whatever it is and and here's the resources to do it I think definitely makes a big difference and it probably goes back to my like upbringing and knowing like how differently my life would have looked if somebody would have been my voice or somebody would have cared. Um, yeah, but I really, for me personally, I one, I know that my population I want to work with is, is youth. Um, I think I really want to work with uh, trans and/ or queer youth, probably because I, I hold a representation of being both trans and also queer. Um, and so I think that <laughs> there's definitely like a lot of obstacles to overcome with that. Um, and I also have a real passion for youth. I think I would like to bring find one way find a way to bring them together, or I would like to more specifically work with uh, trans and or queer youth, and then probably go into policy, because as much as I love the programs that exist and and I'm very passionate, and I you know I've started uh, organizations that before I transferred, and I've done a lot of things and a lot of advocating and a lot of volunteering and all that stuff. Um, I think a lot of times they can be band aids for the real systematic issues that that are the root of, of, of the reasons and the reasons that we find oppression continuing to exist. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if we tackle it at the core, um, I think we can see a lot of different changes.
1: That's amazing. I love that view. That is, that is amazing. Um, but, yeah, you, you definitely embody the, the true vision of affecting a community through one action, through, advoca- uh, through advocacy, and through uh, community engagement really embody the, the spirit of TRIO.
0: I think it's also really important to recognize that I have had the support system and I've had everybody, you know, push me to see my fullest potential and, and tell me about all these resources and, and, and do all these great things for me, whether that was the Upper Bound Program the peop- or the social workers that I've shadowed or, you know, through the Academic Advancement Center, through the Fostering Success Program, through all these different organizations and through the Pride Center and, and all these different, like, organizations that have, like, pushed me. But again, like going back to paying it forward, and saying like these people, you know, made a difference in my life, and how can I continue to do the same in others?
1: Yeah. Spencer, amazing, and your story is amazing overall. The things that you've done, uh, the things you've accomplished, and things that you've yet to do, and we're looking forward to uh, maybe in the future in a future episode uh, feature an update and see how things are going for you. So uh, before we wrap up. Um, I really wanted to get to know more about you, so I'm going to ask ask some intrusive questions if you don't mind. So Spencer, what, what do you like to do outside of advocacy, engagement communities? What is it that relaxes you or, or really, uh, you know, what do you do in your downtime?
0: I love to hike. <laughs> you love hiking? I love to be outdoors. Um, I think the outdoors is like very grounding. I'm also... Uh, not to go back to advocacy, but I'm also a huge advocate of the environment. Oh, okay. Um,
1: so even when you're not advocating, <laughs> you're advocating for something else. Gotcha.
0: Um, and so I really love to just be kind of outdoors. And then, uh, yeah, I think something about the outdoors just definitely keeps me grounded. Something about hiking, something about physical fitness, more so, so than anything. Um, I love traveling as well. Um, you know, being a college student, that doesn't really happen often. where's the
1: furthest you've traveled and your shortest distance so both
0: my shortest different distance I would say when I drove to El Paso to see my best friend okay wow um and the furthest stateside would definitely probably be New York um okay yeah or uh yeah probably new york if we're talking stateside
1: so internationally you've been outside of the states? Mhm. Well, where have you been?
0: Um to Japan. Nice. I've been to Haiti. Okay. Um Yeah, I've been all over.
1: What have you learned in your traveling experiences that you would probably pass on to trio students if they are, if they're aspiring travelers?
0: This may sound a little harsh, but I think the United States tends to be very ethnocentric.
1: Oh, sure, for sure.
0: Um, and I think that we're so centered around our culture. And so I think that when we travel, um, even actually locally, when we indulge in different communities, or when we travel um, to different countries or even different states, um, I think it's really important to keep in mind that like our culture is not the right way. People exist differently, and that's okay. Um, and I think to indulge yourself in that culture and to be aware and to be respectful.
1: That's amazing. That's a great piece of advice, especially you know for people traveling abroad or even just stateside. It's, it's good to be conscious about the communities you visit and to be open to about those experiences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Spencer, thank you so much for being on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to featuring you on an update again so we can uh, see how things have been since we last spoke. So um, any last... Parting words to our trio audience. Anything that you would like for them to know that we did not cover yet.
0: I don't I don't I don't think so. Okay. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom? I have them tattooed on me. Oh right. Okay, <laughs> so let's hear them. Uh again, I mentioned earlier that I that I am trans. Um but this tattoo right here, right here says, give yourself permission to be who you really are. Um, you know, I've, I've fought a lot of battles between being in the military, being fostered, being all over. But the hardest uh, battle I've ever had to fight was one for my own identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that when we show up authentically, I think that we can do a lot more. And I think I think it's always important um, to just be authentic in who you are.
1: Awesome. Well, we just uh, had uh, Spencer Hall, the... Participant for Colorado State University and advocate for various communities and identities, and we are very, very happy that you are on the podcast.
0: Thank you very much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. What a great conversation we had with Spencer. I don't think we take the time to listen to others, and when we hear their stories and hear the challenges that they've had to go through, it gives us a different perspective, and it allows us to process life for others and we give ourselves permission to feel and to accept another point of view. I think too often we're too dismissive about another, another person's point of view if we feel that it treads on political uh, lines or if we deem the conversation unnecessary. But I think Spencer did a great job, a fantastic job of highlighting some of the needs that college students go through uh, whether it's identities or uh, facing a financial crisis uh, or whatever it is, right, that we are able to look at these positions and these, uh, these voices and be able to highlight them and give them a space to vocalize issues. So for that, I thank Spencer for being on the podcast. If you ever like to be featured on Let's Talk Trio, send us a message via Facebook. Search under Let's Talk Trio and send us a direct message. A huge thank you to our producer, Emilio Castaneda, sound technician, John Russell, and our honorary members, Scott Kendall and Roderick Chambers, executive producer, Juan Rivas. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.